0: Lesson four, how to set the next gauge for what you want. I was visiting recently in the home of an up-to-date woman who decided that the gas stove, which had been in use in her kitchen for some years, should be discarded for a more modern and convenient electric one. But she encountered the opposition of her cook. I don't believe it will ever be satisfactory, said the latter. I don't see how it could. It doesn't stand to reason that a mere machine could do all the things you claim for this newfangled one. My friend did not try to convince her, but took her down to the store and asked the demonstrator to explain how it could be operated. He told her of the almost human powers of this remarkable invention, how you set the gauges or indicators for preparing anything you want, and it will produce the exact degree of heat for the exact time you indicate. No more and no less how you can set the stove's clock just as you do your alarm so that the heat will come on at the very moment you desire, stay on just the number of minutes you choose, and turn itself off at the end of that time. For instance, if you want baked potatoes for dinner on the day of your club meeting, it is not necessary to rush home three quarters of an hour ahead of time or upset your nerves and spoil your speech worrying about them. You put them into the oven when you leave at three o'clock. Set the heat regulator at just the right temperature for perfect browning. Set the clock for turning on the heat at the right time and for turning it off so many minutes later. And when you come in, there they are, done to perfection. If you also want spinach, there's a boiling oven and broiling plates too, all ready to work for you simultaneously, scientifically, and accurately in your absence. The demonstrator explained all this in detail. The cook was doubtful but agreed to try it. A book of instructions came with it. At the time she was reading them, she exclaimed, it's too good to be true. It simply can't be as easy and simple as all that. But she carefully read the directions and conscientiously followed them. In less than a week, her favorite topic of conversation was the wonders of that stove. So it will be with you. If you will carefully read and conscientiously follow these directions, You may set the gauges and indicators for anything you want. Go on about your everyday affairs, and someday it will materialize. The stove does this because it is constructed along scientific lines, in accordance with great eternal, immutable, natural, and divine laws, laws which the brain of man discovered and now applies to the solution of his problems. Each of us is constructed by the maker of these divine and natural laws. We are built in accordance with them and operate successfully only when these laws are understood and applied. Imagine a machine 10,000 times more versatile than the electric stove, equally simple to operate, equally accurate, equally dependable, and you get some idea of the God-made mechanism you are. The saddest thing in life is that most people are like the cook, refusing to believe in their own possibilities, thinking these promises too good to be true, and clinging to outworn methods. They want things, all kinds of things, just as she wanted her cooking done. And they want to get them with the least effort, just as she did. But they cannot bring themselves to utilize the great new discoveries you may have imagined that the human race hates work worse than anything else in the world. And it does, with one exception. That exception is thought. Like the cook, the average person will struggle with unnecessary toil, exercising his muscles long, arduous hours, rather than exercise his mind ever so little. How many times have you seen people doing work they hated, in the hardest, slowest way, wearing themselves out, making themselves old and keeping themselves in poverty when a little thinking would have enabled them to shorten and lighten it, thus improving it to the point where better pay and emancipation would come from it. This course of lessons is for the purpose of explaining the possibilities of your great subconscious mechanism, a mechanism that can secure for you anything you really want And with far less effort than you have been expending up to now, provided you will only read the instructions and then apply them. In the first lesson, we explained how your moods set this great inner mechanism to working for or against you, according to whether they are destructive or constructive. That these moods of ours are great currents of power, which can, by right thought, be turned on constructively, or by wrong thought, turned so as to burn down our houses with us in them. In the second lesson, we explained just how to keep the current turned into constructive channels and that we do not do the work ourselves any more than the cook furnishes the fire for the baked potatoes in the electric stove. We simply watch the switches and keep them turned the right way by giving the harmonious reaction to the events of life. In the third lesson, we explained how definite desire generates a high voltage and focuses it on the things you want, how not to dissipate your current, how to make up your mind, just as the cook must, as to exactly what you want most. We can't eat everything for dinner, no matter how much we would like to. We must make a selection and then work toward its realization without thinking about all the things we decided to forego this time. We found that, just as in the case of dinner, some of the things we would like and could get are not good for us, some are not worth cooking, and some do not combine well with the other things we want more. In this course, we are going to explain the four gauges, which, when properly set, will produce anything in this world you really want the four steps by which we arrive at any destination we wish to reach. Definite desire sets the first gauge. In this present lesson, we are going to show you how to set the second gauge for exactly the things you have decided on. Precisely as in the case of the cook, the unthinking, skeptical, or antiquated type of mind may say upon reading these instructions, it is too simple, too easy, too childlike. Why, it can't be possible that there is a machine as marvelous as this right inside me. It's too good to be true. But every human being who follows these directions and applies each simple rule will see for himself and soon be as joyously enthusiastic as the cook. We do not know or need to know just how the inner self operates. Its activities obey certain laws, and we know what these are. If we harmonize with them, we will succeed. If we oppose them, we will fail. The laws of your subconscious and of all else about you, from those that rule the digestion of your food to those entailed in your most complicated achievements, are God made, unchanging, immutable. They operate as inexorably as do the laws of gravity, electricity, or chemistry. And your refusal to adapt yourself to them will no more nullify them then your non-belief in the laws of gravity can keep you from being hurt if you drop from a 10-story window, nor then your refusal to believe in the laws of chemistry would keep you from death after you took sulfuric acid. The laws explained in this course are eternal. They do not change. They always work. They can be used by anybody, at any time, in any place, and for any purpose, Precisely as the laws of electricity, when applied to the stove, will cook poison for you as quickly and certainly as they will wholesome food. Your belief or non-belief cannot invalidate these laws any more than the cook's refusal to believe in the electric stove prevented it from producing results for her once she actually sets the gauges in accordance with the instructions. The big thing that belief does is to cause us to grasp, master, and apply the instructions more quickly, accurately, enthusiastically, and thereby to get results more quickly. Bigotry, skepticism, and doubt stay your hand while you are in the very act of setting your gauges. They induce you in your conscious mind to experiment with the mechanism, to lift the hood, as it were, to stop and start it, and in other ways, turn it off and on, and thus interfere with your speedy results. Your active opposition to these principles, though it can never alter nor abrogate them nor interfere with others who use them, will naturally make it impossible for you to get results from them for the simple reason that active opposition will keep you from really setting your gauges. Though you might declare to us or pretend to your friends that you had turned them on, you would not actually have done so, for active opposition keeps you acting in its own direction. Which in this case would be the opposite action from turning on the gauge. A perfect example of active opposition would be seen if the cook had refused to set the indicators on the electric stove. Obviously, she could not have achieved results. Whenever you refrain from setting the gauge within your own powerful mechanism, or when you do not set it in accordance with the rules, you will be just as sure to meet with disappointment. Whenever you follow the directions, you will be equally certain of getting results. The reason why predominantly destructive moods bring destruction to our lives is that our predominant moods automatically set the gauges and fulfill every requirement for bringing to pass in our lives the destructive thing we are dwelling upon. A long-cherished mood of any kind sets in motion the very forces that are essential to its materialization in the outer world. Until you know what these are, you will not be able to recognize them, and of course, have not recognized them heretofore. But they always follow certain lines and develop stage upon stage in perfect unfoldment. This is accomplished, first, by putting us in the frame of mind to keep the current turned in this direction. Second, by forcing us sooner or later to actions that fit it. Third, by printing our real feels upon our externals. And fourth, by making us susceptible to all outside suggestions which coincide with it. Since the suggestions of others are always in response to, in accordance with, and of the same nature as the feelings we have externally expressed to them, their suggestions will complete the circle and simply replant the subconscious with the same kind of seed as the original mood, precisely as any shrub, tree, or flower will reseed the ground underneath it season after season, if left to itself. The above indicates the four main stages or developments by which any chronic mood gets itself materialized. A recognition of these facts is wonderfully self-revealing, but what we all need is something beyond that the exact rules and steps whereby we can turn this powerful current toward what we want instead of mistakenly throwing the switch in the very direction we do not want. This course supplies that need. Just as the book of instructions tells the cook exactly how to set the gauges for what she wants her stove to produce, we will give you the exact rules for setting your gauges for anything you want your subconscious to produce for you. It will do for you with the same certainty and dependability as that exhibited by the electric stove when it performs for the cook. If only you will stick as closely to the rules as she does. I explain all this to you, dear friend, in order that you may know there is an open road to whatever you desire. It is there whether you can bring yourself to believe it or not. To travel on it to your desired destination, you must select your destination, which you have done in the previous lesson, and you must start your car properly, which this lesson is going to explain in detail. I do not tell you, as you have been told hundreds of times before, that what you want lies over yonder, but that before you can reach it, you must somehow find the axe called absolute Confidence and blaze your own trail through the forests of doubt. He who can find that much confidence does not need me nor anyone else. He will find his own way to the land of heart's desire, as did all the great who achieved before this science was formulated. But he who cannot yet believe must be led gently and lovingly by the hand around the first turns and corners and over the foothills till he can see his own highway stretching away before him. This is my mission and the unique mission of these lessons. I am so glad hundreds of students have written me. You do not demand that we have full belief before we begin. For how can I believe I am going to get a thing if there doesn't seem to be certainty of it? How can I expect I am going to get this thing I want so much when I never yet got the things I wanted most? How can I have faith? when there is nothing reasonable to base it on? My whole experience in life has been so disappointing, I simply haven't confidence in myself or in my ability to get what I want. My reply to all who feel so is this. Belief and trust and optimism will help a lot to speed up the delivery of what you want, but they are not absolutely essential to your getting it eventually. Non-belief is of your conscious mind, and your conscious mind is something entirely apart from your subconscious. It knows very little about its operations and activities. You and that conscious mind of yours do not get this thing and bring it to you anyhow. This is all done by the subconscious, which begins to produce certain things for you whenever you do certain things to it, just as a clock starts to run when you wind it just as a car starts when you step on the starter. You don't do it. You merely do certain things to your car, and because it is constructed in accordance with law, it responds. The same is true of your great subconscious. Backing it up with confidence will make it work more quickly for the simple reason that confidence makes you act more quickly, accurately, and effectively to set it in motion just as your belief in your ability to start your car makes you start it more quickly. Just as confidence in your car saves you the delays of puttering around or of stepping on the gas tremblingly, so confidence in your ability to do a thing helps you in two ways, by saving time and by applying more power. A thing that is attempted with enthusiasm is already half done. Confidence that you are going to get what you want helps your subconscious get it for you because it flings into the front trenches all the bodily forces, generaled by your best brain forces. Fear that you will not get it chokes and shackles every cell in your body and brain till they lag and drag along behind. Even so, however, these body and brain soldiers are under the command of general subconscious, and you have got to obey him, just as he has got to obey you. It is a law of your being and always works when you set it in operation, whether you believe in its mechanism or not. If your belief in your ability to get what you want is great, so much the better. You will not only get it in far less time than would be required otherwise, but you will have a better time while you wait. But if for any reason you can't force yourself really to expect it at all, even if skepticism in its worst form possesses you, you can get whatever you want. Instead of demanding that you have faith at the outset, all I ask of you is that you read these simple directions carefully and follow them persistently. They cannot fail. They have brought to thousands of skeptical people in this country the things they wanted but never expected to get. They have worked miracles in the lives of the sick and wonders in the lives of the poor and unsuccessful. They will do the same for you because they are in accordance with unchanging eternal laws. Every man can use them quickly and miraculously if he have enthusiasm, slowly but surely even if he lack enthusiasm, but no man can nullify them. Your subconscious never looks beyond or behind your orders. It is your servant, a servant with unlimited power but of absolute loyalty and unquestioning obedience. Whenever you really get your order over to it, it sets to work instantly and will someday deliver it to you, unless you cancel the order, whether you believe in its powers or not. Just as heretofore, it has been producing the wrong things in accordance with the orders you unknowingly gave it when you weren't even aware of its existence. If, up to now, life has brought you mostly disappointment, if everything you tried has failed you, you could not be expected to have absolute confidence in the efficacy of these rules merely because I said it was there. Therefore, I do not ask it. I shall give you, step by step, the rules for getting anything you want. All I ask is that you try them. They will work for you if you apply them, as they have for thousands of our students who have already used them during the past few years and will remake your life as they have remade theirs. Believe anything you prefer. Simply try them. Confidence in them will come when they begin to produce results, which will be immediately. After that, bigger and better and faster results will come as you apply them more expertly, more frequently, and more enthusiastically. To be most effective, confident expectancy must be based on experience. Then it generates itself, thus saving you the trouble and leaving your subconscious free to attend to the actual working out of ways and means. Confidence attained in any other way is short-lived and as unsatisfactory as a car that is forever having to be cranked. I have found in my many years of dealing with ambitious, reasonable people that it is better to produce results before demanding unquestioning confidence in these new teachings. It is a somewhat slower process, but the only one capable of building a solid foundation. If the individual is to be permanently helped, I believe it is imperative and only fair that he be excused from blind confidence until he has achieved results which warrant confidence. If one's teachings are worthless without faith, The teacher either has not a complete grasp of the principles involved or is getting only temporary results. The results, if any, in such cases, are not from the principles laid down by the teacher, but from the faith of the student himself. In other words, if you are told that without perfect faith in certain principles, no good can come from applying them, it is obvious that your own faith and not the principles taught is the determining factor. In such case, you are applying not so much the principles taught as the principles of faith, whose results are well known. The teacher who is sincere will not promise to teach you scientific principles of attainment and then fling the burden back upon you through such an alibi. A truly scientific principle is eternal and unchanging, it is ever operative and as effective in producing results for the non believer as for the believer, if he applies them. This is not a denial of the great law of faith, but rather a declaration that faith has principles of its own so great and glorious they deserve to be known as such and given full credit, not exploited to furnish horsepower for other so-called principles, which would be useless without it. Faith deserves all the honor and glory we can give it, but faith in a lie will not make it truth, nor will lack of faith in the truth make that truth false. Faith is the greatest force in the world because it is the supreme energizer, the attitude which instantly turns on the power that connects us with the sublime. Faith is a magic substance, one drop of which, when added to any human effort, will make that effort hundreds, thousands, millions of times more effective because it concentrates All our forces in one direction, removes vacillation, intensifies, revives desire. In other words, releases our greatest powers. The law of faith is itself a scientific principle and can be briefly explained as follows Faith always speeds up the results obtainable from any other scientific principle by making us apply that scientific principle, rule, law, or force more quickly expertly, frequently, and forcibly. The greatest thing faith does is to increase the voltage in those mysterious currents which link us to the divine. Faith can be compared to a vast Niagara. You can use its power everywhere, all the time, in every act and endeavor of your life. Or you can refuse to avail yourself of it and do everything by hand. Faith helps us always and immeasurably in applying any law because it places our entire being in harmony with that law and leaves no room for opposition. It gives us, moreover, aside from its assistance in the matter at hand, the realization of how much we can accomplish once we center all our forces on anything. In other words, a conscious faith is based in and backed up by reason. This kind of faith we never lose. It grows stronger the longer we use it, and so do we. But we do not demand that you have faith in these principles until you try them. In this lesson, we shall give you the rules whereby you may ultimately attain results, whether you believe you will or not. Simple though they are, they operate upon forces that are all-powerful. It is not necessary for you to understand the intricacy of these forces in order to put them to work for you, any more than it is necessary for you to understand all the forces and principles operating within your electric stove in order to make it produce results. No more necessary than for you to be an engineer in order to run your automobile. No more necessary than for you to be an electrical engineer in order to use electric lights in your own home. But you must. Just as with these other mechanisms, follow the rules. Your automobile is built upon very complicated principles, but every one of these is at your disposal and will produce results for you if you will only learn the few laws for their operation and apply them. Henry Ford himself cannot run one of his own cars any more effectively than you can if you will master the simple rules of driving. Vast laws, Principles and powers lie behind your electric lights, yet you can, by pressing certain buttons, light your home as effectively as can the greatest electrical engineer in the world. The following rules will do for you just what the pressing of an electric button does in your home, just what the few movements do for you in driving a high-powered car, just what setting the gauges on the electric stove does, bring to you And place behind your desires the vast, untold divine principles and powers necessary for their fulfillment. They no more explain these vast principles than the electric button explains electricity, and they do not need to. The great thing is that they always work if you use them according to directions. Come with me on an imaginary journey. We will go a million years back to a place called the beginnings of human language. There, we will find our remotest ancestors struggling to form words to express the feelings that surged up in their subconscious minds. The brain was little developed at that time, but the subconscious was full of ambitions and longings, the forces that have brought man up to his present stage of development. Man's conscious thoughts at that stage were few and far between, but his feelings and moods, those wonderful, powerful things which, as we have seen in previous lessons, make and unmake our lives, these were fully organized. They were developed to the point where to give voice to them was an imperative need, an intense, burning desire, a great craving which finally produced words. Every word you use, therefore, represents a feeling. This accounts for the indescribable effect upon you of certain words. They are not mere words to your subconscious mind. They are the children of your own subconscious mind and that of the race. For this reason, your subconscious invariably responds to certain words in certain ways, and in other words, in other ways. It recognizes them as a mother recognizes the voices of her children and distinguishes between them as a mother can distinguish. Rule one. Any mood or feeling which you encourage, entertain, or cherish is certain to get itself externalized, materialized sometime. And one of the first steps or stages toward this materialization is shown in your words. Words, therefore, are workers of the subconscious. Each and every one came into existence from the subconscious to help it in expressing and materializing certain feelings, moods, and conditions. Entertain any mood for a while, and unless you are dumb, you are certain to put it into words. If it is a mood you do not want other people to see, you will at first say its words only to yourself. That is, you will simply think the words over to yourself. But very soon, you will be saying them to yourself and usually aloud. The conscious mind deals in images, pictures, visualizations, but the great subconscious has for millions of years dealt with words. The spoken word is now the code it uses most. Today, we have a word for almost every known feeling, a language through which we can reach this great feeling mind and set it to work. Your subconscious is a marvelous establishment, a huge factory full of forces we have as yet only glimpsed. We do not know exactly all that goes on inside it, and we do not have to. But one thing we do know, that the instant we communicate with it through its favorite code of words, it sets to work for us in exact accordance with the words we have used in our message to it, and eventually produces the finished article which are words ordered. A very simple example will suffice to illustrate how the subconscious prefers words to any other form of order and why, if you want your order obeyed in the shortest time, you should avail yourself of words. The head of a boarding house where I lived during one of the college years was a very motherly woman, but not inclined to humor us with desserts or other things we especially liked. Our hinting and praising and cajoling did little good. We had given up trying to get anything more than meat and potatoes when someone discovered that we could get anything we wanted out of her if we'd tell her daughter and let her deliver the message as her own. Our subconscious has a beloved child, and that child is the avenue through which it prefers to receive its orders and messages. That child in each of us is the little girl whose name is Words. Written and spoken are her first two ones. Therefore, the next gauge in your subconscious is to be set through the help of this young lady. When you send your orders into the subconscious through her, you will not be disappointed. Rule two, let your desire alone to find the right words for expressing itself. Do not try to hurry it. Do not try to think of any yourself, but make of yourself an open door, as it were, for receiving and registering whatever words seem to fit your desire. By this, I mean the words that suit you, that express to you the thing you want. Do not force yourself to us second-choice words in connection with what you want. Wait for the right ones to come to you. They will arrive. You cannot have a desire very long without its crystallizing into words. But the ones most effective with your subconscious must be selected by your subconscious. Calling things as well as people by the right names is important. The right names or words to be used in ordering the things you want and all the words in connection with them will usually come to you spontaneously after you have dwelt for a little while on any particular thing you really want. In this, As in all other methods used with the subconscious, you should not agitate yourself or try to speed it up. It knows better than you possibly can just how to go about getting what you want, and nagging is neither necessary nor advisable. Therefore, relax your mind until just the words that seem to express what you want come to you. In most cases, these words have been in your mind and on your lips thousands of times before. You already know what you want. And since reading Lesson 3, you know what you want most. These desires will begin, if they have not already done so, to frame themselves into words, to boil themselves down into a few words. And some will condense themselves into just one word. The subconscious is a wonderful efficiency expert. It never wastes time or effort on red tape. It tends to formulate a symbol for everything, much as shorthand writers make symbols expressive of certain ideas. The success of Qui and his method is the most spectacular and convincing proof of the power of words. The Qui method consisted of one thing and one thing only. Having the patient or student say, every day, in every way, I am getting better and better. The fact that hundreds of cases of disease unhappiness and inefficiency were completely cured simply by saying this phrase over 20 times a day is surely all the proof needed by a thinking individual of the great power of words in setting the subconscious to work. The Qui formula was no doubt the best general one that could have been devised for universal application, but it did not cure all those who recited it. I am convinced that this was due to the fact that its phrasing did not appeal to all. Therefore, it did not reach the subconscious mind of every person. There were many who, for one reason or another, did not like it, did not take to it, as we say. Such a person could not be cured by the formula, no matter how hard he tried, nor how faithfully he was using it, for the simple reason that something blocked its passage and prevented its getting into his subconscious mind. It has been repeatedly stated that those who were most like children in their attitudes, whose mental processes were most simple and elemental, such as the average French peasant, were the ones most often cured by the Cui method. It is easy to understand how this would be true because this is the type of mind which not only would accept more help in formulating its desires into words, but would have the least individualized and the fewest preconceived attitudes toward its desires. Greater and far swifter cures can be made by the highly intelligent, strongly individualized person for the reason that such a one possesses a far stronger, far more crystallized subconsciousness, while those of the keenest brains, highest forms of mentality, and most distinctive individualities can secure the surest, swiftest results of all. A high degree of intelligence, a definitively individualized personality, and especially a positive, successful conscious mind, all these are indicative of a subconscious mind which is unusually powerful, remarkably balanced, and thoroughly organized. The only thing needful in these cases is that the individual make his own formula, one that does express what he wants to come true, and then use it. It is sad that the people with these greatest potentialities do not avail themselves more frequently of the tremendous potencies of their subconscious minds, yet why they don't is easily understood. The conscious mind has worked so well and so successfully that they imagine it has secured all their results for them. Being successful, they have had no occasion to go over its head beyond or behind it for what they wanted. They are on such intimate terms with their conscious minds that they are partial to them, as one is to a pal, and, as in such instances, often give him credit for some big service which has really been performed by a loving mother or other relative off in the background somewhere. Today, more and more successful men and women are recognizing the part their subconscious minds have played in their success. Rule three. If you have not yet seen a formula or affirmation that seems just to fit your ambitions, you must make your own formula. Do not copy Queez, mine, or anyone else's. Do not make any special effort to have it pretty, didactic, dramatic, fancy, clever, polished, or any other thing. Take time and build a phrase that, to you, fits your own list of desires that boils them down yet contains the general idea of them all. Or, if you prefer, make a formula for each one of the big desires you have down in your list of wants. I believe it will help you to understand just what is meant by making your own. If I cite two instances from my own experience which show that each knows what affirmations help him most— and that it is too personal a matter for anyone else to arrange for you. A very quiet, retiring, devout little woman told me that although she had studied the power of affirmation for many years, she had had almost no results. She had practiced a certain formula day after day for years. She was desperately in earnest and apparently had done her part, I asked her what she had been affirming all this time, and she repeated to me a dry theological phrase, one that her minister had used in a sermon years before. She admitted that this phrase didn't especially appeal to her, in fact, that she really didn't care for it, only it sounded inclusive and rather awe-inspiring at the time, and she supposed one was about as good as another, just so you stuck to it, said it often enough, and never stopped trying. Her difficulty was the same each of us encounter when we try to force anything that we really don't want or don't like upon the subconscious. It knows we really don't want that and goes on about its business, waiting, waiting, as any good servant does, for you to order what you do want. I asked her if she had ever thought of any formula or phrase that strongly appealed to her, and she at last confessed that she had. Only, said she, I never admitted it to myself, much less repeated it. It seemed so profane. Every time I want something, I would like to say, I'll get you in spite of, but of course I never say it. I've often wondered if it wasn't this wicked thought which kept me from getting the things I wanted. If you have that old word in your subconscious, I told her, it is because your subconscious, for some reason or other, has fastened on it as a powerful, Vital weapon. It does not mean to be profane, only to get results. It evidently needs this word in its business, just as your carpenter may need certain tools you personally can't or wouldn't use. If you want to develop beyond it, better let him use it to build something better and thus grow out of the need for it. The fact that you have refused all these years to use this word is proof enough to him above that there is no blasphemy in your mind. She was some time bringing herself to accept this theory, but when she did, she made real progress. The other case was of an opposite nature and needed opposite treatment. He was a man of the roughest exterior, the loudest voice and the most uncouth manners of any student who ever came to me. He had lived in a mining camp most of his life, far away from the refinements of civilization, yet he had been strengthened, uplifted, and as he believed, directly inspired toward his financial success by an involved yet spiritual affirmation from one of Browning's poems. Rule four. If something someone else has written suits you better than anything you can think of yourself, take it and use it by all means. We sometimes buy a house built by another person in preference to building one ourselves. We often find a ready-made gown that pleases us better than anything a dressmaker could produce for us, and we often see our own ideas better expressed in an epigram than we were ever able to express it ourselves. So it may be with your formula. If you have discovered that Queeze every day in every way appeals to you more than any you can think of yourself, don't hesitate to use it, and don't be afraid or ashamed to do so. If you find any other anywhere that helps you, use it also. Don't make the mistake so many do of refusing to use a thing because you didn't think of it first. Remember, nothing is new under the sun, not even queism. Qui himself says that he got his method from a little pamphlet published 20 years ago by an old doctor of Rochester, New York. Rule 5. Having devised a formula or phrase that, to you, states just what you want, make its acquaintance before using it. By this, I mean break it in, as the cowboy does a horse, before trying to ride it. This is for the purpose of letting your conscious and subconscious minds get acquainted, for just as sure they do not, you will lose the cooperation of one or the other. Remember, these two great minds are almost strangers to each other, yet for the full efficiency, they must now work together in harmony. Your conscious mind frames your formula from the material furnished by your subconscious desires. It is your conscious mind which at this moment is getting the instructions I am giving you. These two should agree on your formula if you are to get the fullest and quickest benefits from it. The refusal of their conscious minds to cooperate with Kui's formula prevented those who were not cured from receiving its benefits. Therefore, both your minds should like and enjoy the formula you arrange for yourself. This is easy and, in fact, inevitable if you let them alone to work it out and give it time to take root. Give these two minds of yours ample time to get together, to see something of each other, to adapt themselves to each other a little, as new neighbors would, before attempting the fullest intimacy. You will be the best judge of the proper time to begin to use your formula. If you have been fully aware for a long time of just what you wanted, or if you have been telling yourself in so many words what your wants were, your conscious and subconscious minds are already in unison on this important step, and you can proceed at once. In this case, what you have already been repeating to yourself as your greatest wants may constitute most, if not all, of your formula. But if all this is new to you, if you have never heard of the power of words over the subconscious, if you have never tried to formulate your desires, if your own words frighten you, if, for any reason, you do not find it easy and pleasant and natural to express your desires in words just yet, by all means, wait until these new ideas have had time to adjust themselves to you. Wait till you feel at home with them. Rule six. When you feel perfectly at ease with and enjoy the statements of your own deepest desires, when you realize that they are not strangers to you, but the most real and vital part of you, begin to express them in some form. Again, in order to get the fullest results, I leave you to choose whatever forms or methods of expression appeal to you most. To the ear-minded, the easiest was at first will be to speak it right out to say it aloud, to talk it to yourself. To the eye minded it will seem much more effective at first if written down. If you are a naturally talkative person, you will probably find verbal expression easiest and pleasantest to begin with. But if you are one who prefers to express himself on paper, who writes better than he talks, you will feel more at home with your formula at first by writing it down several times a day. If you are neither of these but think out ideas habitually which you never express either on paper or by talking, you will derive the greatest benefits at first by letting yourself think your formula over and over. If you do not so much think things out as feel them, then you will get the fullest and quickest results from your formula just by giving yourself time and opportunity each day to feel the meaning and significance of your formulated desires. If you find none of the above suggestions is exactly suited to your particular requirements, but feel it necessary to exercise your own independent judgment in order to meet your needs, do so by all means. Examine carefully the suggestions offered, then draw your own conclusion as to the formula and method best suited to your own case. Rule 7. If you are satisfied with the results you are getting from the one preferred form of expression, you need not add any other. But if you find the results are not all you want, it will be well for you to tap deeper regions of the subconscious by gradually expressing your formula in every way that you normally express other things. You have all these abilities, of course, locked away and one or more of them may be the very method you have been needing. It is now well known that art is produced only when the artist has been denied full expression through the more commonplace channels. The highest forms of literature, music, and acting are invariably productions that come out to the world through the little side doors because the big main ones in the artist have been closed up. Before going on to the next rule, Let's see what you have now done towards setting the gauge for this second step. You have framed the formula which contains the boiled-down essence of your deepest desires. You have put it into the words that most appeal to you. And you have decided which form of expression comes easiest and most natural to you. Rule 8. Do not fail to practice your formula every day and as many times a day as you can do so without interfering with your regular activities. Learn to sandwich it between other things, especially when waiting for streetcars, elevators, telephone answers, the return of your change at cashier's windows, and the hundred other times each day when you are delayed for a moment in the traffic of life. At such times, instead of growling, working yourself up into a nervous state, or Saying the things that aggravate the situation grasp this opportunity to concentrate on your formula. In one year's time, such a habit would enable you not only to make great headway toward what you want, but it would remake your disposition, your facial expression, and your chances in life. I have found that the capitalization of these off moments serves a triple purpose— in that it keeps us reminded of the good and strong in us instead of the bad and weak. It holds the switches in the right direction. It remakes our predominant feelings. And besides all these, produces other helpful effects, some of which are too deep and far-reaching to be explained here, but which helpfully and permanently affect our whole lives. Rule 9. In addition to these, avail yourself of a well-known and effective plan by expressing your formula or affirmations the moment you are awake in the morning. No matter what troubles you may be facing, let the formula come first. Say it, write it, think it, feel it, or otherwise dwell upon it for a few moments before permitting yourself to go on to the consideration of anything else whatsoever. Do the same thing at night as soon as you are ready to go to sleep, saying your own best beloved statement of desires over and over till you lose consciousness. The subjective state which lies between wide awakeness and sleep is the ideal one for digging out weeds and planting good seeds in the subconscious. Whatever we say over or think about to ourselves at this time goes straight to the subconscious and begins to produce results immediately. This one thing alone accounts for much of the world's misery. Most people use these subjective states for reiterating the very troubles they fear. If you will follow these rules, you will be far better able to meet and vanquish anything that menaces you. If you will follow this plan every day for a month, you will find the number of things which do arise to threaten you will have decreased. Also, you will be surprised to note that many of the things which now irritate you have no longer any effect upon you. Rule 10, in addition to these unexpected halts, there are others which are forced upon you in your work and activities. There are also certain things you must take time to do every day of your life, and which you do so easily they use up no mentality. Use these for planting in the soil of your subconscious the formula containing your big order. Think of the hours you have mentally and spiritually wasted during your life up to now, just putting on your clothes, lacing your shoes, and washing your hands. Think of the months it would count up to if we computed the time the average woman spends doing her hair and the average man in shaving. Naturally, we must not neglect these things. Time thus spent is profitably invested, but it could be used for two purposes simultaneously. We do all these by habit, that is, without thinking or feeling, and little, if any, mental energy goes into them. But it goes somewhere. The mind is never idle during one waking moment. What it usually does at these times is more harmful than helpful to us. It is a favorite little time with many people for getting themselves into a stew, wondering if this or that or the other unpleasant thing is going to happen. We should train ourselves from this day onward to use these moments for affirming our personal formula. This kind of repetition will print its order so clearly upon the subconscious, we will see good results immediately. Rule 11 When you are expressing your formula, do not encourage yourself to think one way or the other about whether you are likely to get the thing you want. This rule is very necessary for a very interesting reason which I shall make clearer to you as we go on. But I can tell you this much now. The subconscious never gets your order as clearly when you are wondering about it as when you issue it wholeheartedly. I do not ask you to go so far just yet as to have faith or confidence, but I do ask that you refrain from crossing your own wires. When you are trying to keep these two things side by side in your mind, it has the same effect as though you called up your grocer And while reading your order to him, you also tried to read a book or carry on a conversation with someone in the room. You would assume perhaps that you could snatch a few sentences of your novel while he was writing down the separate items of your order, but you would be sure to give them less distinctly, less clearly, less definitely than if you had laid the book aside and devoted your mind to one thing at a time. This is also illustrated in an experience all of us have had at one time that of trying to write a letter in a room where others were conversing. In spite of ourselves, we will almost invariably record on our page some word we were listening to instead of the one we meant to write. Or we have been trying to talk to one person while listening to another, with the result that we became confused and did not express ourselves clearly. Rule 12. If you really want your formula to give you the utmost service, Do not tell it to anyone. This is a necessary precaution because your subconscious is interested in no one in the universe but you, and also because you could never do justice to your deep desires when trying to express them to others. Others always misunderstand your inner nature to some extent, and you become so well aware of this that you do not get back to complete cooperation with it again for some time. Bear always in mind that the subconscious of every human being is different in its inmost content from that of anyone else and that no one else in all the world can do as much with yours as you can yourself. All effective suggestion is, as we now know, auto-suggestion. That is, self-suggestion. Furthermore, it does no good for others to know or try to know just what goes on in your secret soul. They can help very little except as they help you to help yourself, and these lessons will do that. Let others see your results, never the inner mechanism. Rely more on the God within you and less on the people outside. Rule 13. There are two main classes of affirmations or formulas. You should choose the kind which appeals to you most. One states that you have, right now, the thing you want, that you are, right now, what you desire to be, that you are doing, right now, what you want to do. As an example of this, I have submitted the following in my classes, and it has helped thousands of people. I am well, happy, and successful. The other kind of formula, and one which the average person finds more helpful, is I am getting healthier, happier and more successful all the time. The latter form helps a great number of people for the reason that it does not ask the reasoning, arguing, fact-loving, conscious mind to accept or believe anything contrary to its own senses. That you are getting more happy, healthy, and successful all the time is a probability your conscious mind will agree with, and thus it will lend its cooperation instead of its opposition. Another form of affirmation that has been wonderfully successful places the emphasis on a different word each time, namely, I am success. I am success. I am success. The more conscious type of mind would derive a greater good by saying, I am more successful. I am more successful. I am more successful. I am more successful. A mind so recently awakened to the powers of the subconscious as not to be able to accept so much at once can derive fullest results by the following. I am growing more successful. 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 The above formulas can be applied to health, happiness, wealth, love, or any other thing in the world you desire. There is a greater efficiency in a short formula for the obvious reason that it can be repeated oftener, but chiefly because it is more inclusive. You will doubtless feel that health, happiness, and success include almost, if not everything you want. There is another great advantage making your formula inclusive like the above examples. It leaves the subconscious free to work out the details, to use its own methods, and gives it nothing to do but produce results. However, all this must be decided by yourself for yourself. If you feel, after making your formula, that you can improve upon it, do not hesitate to change. Your subconscious only wants to serve you, to bring you exactly what you want. And the more clearly you express what you want, the more quickly and completely it can deliver the goods. Rule 14, never make any statement regarding your own future or that of anyone else the full responsibility of whose materialization you are not willing to assume. In other words, never say anything about yourself or others unless you are willing to see it come true and are willing to accept your full share of responsibility for it. Suggestion is a powerful force which acts directly upon the subconscious mind. Words are wireless suggestors that go straight into it, setting it to work instantly in accordance with whatever the nature, meaning, sound, and intent of those words signify to you. Learn to refrain from the use of all inharmonious, negative, destructive, or even colorless words. Try to frame every thought. In the most harmonious, constructive, colorful words you can. And here is the last and best plan of all with regard to the spoken word. If any thought or feeling you wish to express cannot be put into any but destructive or harmful words, do not express it at all.